Chapter Five of the Birthplace by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He kept it up through the summer, but with the queerest consciousness at times of the want of proportion between his secret rage and the spirit of those from whom the friction came. He said to himself, so sore as his sensibility had grown, that they were gregariously ferocious at the very time he was seeing them as individually mild. He said to himself that they were mild only because he was. He flattered himself that he was divinely so, considering what he might be, and that he should, as his wife had warned him, soon enough have news of it were he to deflect by a hair's breadth from the line traced for him. That was the collective fatuity, that it was capable of turning on the instant both to a general and to a particular resentment. Since the least breath of discrimination would get him the sack without mercy, it was absurd, he reflected, to speak of his discomfort as light. He was gagged, he was goaded, as in omnivorous companies he doubtless sometimes showed by a strange silent glare. They would get him the sack for that as well, if he didn't look out. Therefore wasn't it in effect ferocity when you mightn't even hold your tongue? They wouldn't let you off with silence. They insisted on your committing yourself. It was the pound of flesh. They would have it. So under his coat he bled. But a wondrous peace, by exception, dropped on him one afternoon at the end of August. The pressure had as usual been high, but it had diminished with the fall of the day, and the place was empty before the hour for closing. Then it was that within a few minutes of this hour, there presented themselves a pair of pilgrims, to whom in the ordinary course he would have remarked that they were, to his regret, too late. He was to wonder afterwards why the course had, at the sight of the visitors, a gentleman and a lady, appealing and fairly young, shown for him as other than ordinary. The consequence sprang doubtless from something rather fine and unnameable, something, for instance, in the tone of the young man, or in the light of his eye, after hearing the statement on the subject of the hour. Yes, we know it's late, but it's just, I'm afraid, because of that. We've had rather a notion of escaping the crowd, as I suppose you mostly have one now, and it was really on the chance of finding you alone. These things the young man said before being quite admitted, and they were words that any one might have spoken who had not taken the trouble to be punctual, or who desired, a little ingratiatingly, to force the door. Gedge even guessed at the sense that might lurk in them, the hint of a special tip if the point was stretched. There were no tips, he had often thanked his stars, at the birthplace. There was the charged fee, and nothing more. Everything else was out of order, to the relief of a palm not formed by nature for a scoop. Yet in spite of everything, in spite especially of the almost audible chink of the gentleman's sovereigns, which might in another case exactly have put him out, he presently found himself in the birth-room, access to which he had gracefully enough granted, almost treating the visit as personal and private. The reason? Well, the reason would have been, if anywhere, in something naturally persuasive on the part of the couple, unless it had been, rather, again, in the way the young man, once he was in place, met the caretaker's expression of face, held it a moment, and seemed to wish to sound it. That they were Americans was promptly clear, and Gedge could very nearly have told what kind. He had arrived at the point of distinguishing kinds, 
though the difficulty might have been with him now that the case before him was rare. He saw it, in fact, suddenly, in the light of the golden midland evening, which reached them through low old windows, saw it with a rush of feeling, unexpected and smothered, that made him wish for a moment to keep it before him as a case of inordinate happiness. It made him feel old, shabby, poor, but he watched it no less intensely for its doing so. They were children of fortune, of the greatest, as it might seem, to Morris Gedge, and they were, of course, lately married, the husband smooth-faced and soft, but resolute and fine, several years older than the wife, and the wife vaguely, delicately, irregularly, but mercilessly pretty. Somehow the world was theirs. They gave the person who took the sixpences at the birthplace such a sense of the high luxury of freedom as he had never had. The thing was that the world was theirs not simply because they had money, he had seen rich people enough, but because they could in a supreme degree think and feel and say what they liked. They had a nature and a culture, a tradition, a facility of some sort, an all producing in them an effect of positive beauty that gave a light to their liberty and an ease to their tone. These things, moreover, suffered nothing from the fact that they happened to be in mourning. This was probably worn for some lately deceased, opulent father, or some delicate mother, who would be sure to have been a part of the source of the beauty, and it affected Gedge in the gathered twilight, and at his odd crisis, as the very uniform of their distinction. He couldn't quite have said afterwards by what steps the point had been reached, but it had become at the end of five minutes a part of their presence in the birth-room, a part of the young man's look a part of the charm of the moment, and a part above all of a strange sense within him of now or never, that Gedge had suddenly, thrillingly, let himself go. He had not been definitely conscious of drifting to it. He had been for that too conscious merely of thinking how different, in all their range, were such a united couple from another united couple that he knew. They were everything he and his wife were not. This was more than anything else the lesson at first of their talk. Thousands of couples of whom the same was true certainly had passed before him, but none of whom it was true with just that engaging intensity. This was because of their transcendent freedom. This was what, at the end of five minutes, he saw it all come back to. The husband had been there at some earlier time, and he had his impression, which he wished now to make his wife share. But he already, Gedge could see, had not concealed it from her. A pleasant irony, in fine, our friend seemed to taste in the air, he who had not yet felt free to taste his own. I think you weren't here four years ago. That was what the young man had almost begun by remarking. Gedge liked his remembering it, liked his frankly speaking to him, all the more that he had given him, as it were, no opening. He had let them look about below, and then he had taken them up, but without words, without the usual showman's song, of which he would have been afraid. The visitors didn't ask for it. The young man had taken the matter out of his hands, by himself dropping for the benefit of the young woman a few detached remarks. What Gedge felt, oddly, was that these remarks were not inconsiderate of him. He had heard others, both of the priggish order and the crude, that might have been called so 
and as the young man had not been aided to this cognition of him as new, it already began to make for them a certain common ground. The ground became immense when the visitor presently added with a smile, There was a good lady, I recollect, who had a great deal to say. It was the gentleman's smile that had done it. The irony was there. Ah, there has been a great deal said, and Gedge's look at his interlocutor doubtless showed his sense of being sounded. It was extraordinary, of course, that a perfect stranger should have guessed the travail of his spirit, should have caught the gleam of his inner commentary. That, probably, in spite of him, leaked out of his poor old eyes. Much of it in such places as this, he heard himself adding, is, of course, said very irresponsibly. Such places as this, he winced at the words as soon as he had uttered them. There was no wincing, however, on the part of his pleasant companions. Exactly so, the whole thing becomes a sort of stiff, smug convention, like a dressed-up sacred doll in a Spanish church, which you're a monster if you touch. A monster, said Gedge, meeting his eyes. The young man smiled, but he thought he looked at him a little harder. A blasphemer. A blasphemer. It seemed to do his visitor good. He certainly was looking at him harder. Detached as he was, he was interested. He was at least amused. Then you don't claim, or at any rate you don't insist? I mean you personally? He had an identity for him, Gedge felt, that he couldn't have had for a Briton, and the impulse was quick in our friend to testify to this perception. I don't insist to you. The young man laughed. It really, I assure you, if I may, wouldn't do any good. I'm too awfully interested. Do you mean, his wife lightly inquired, in a pulling it down? That is what you've said to me. Has he said to you, Gedge intervened, though quaking a little, that he would like to pull it down? She met, in her free sweetness, this directness with such a charm. Oh, perhaps not quite the house. Good, you see we live on it, I mean we people. The husband had laughed, but had now so completely ceased to look about him that there seemed nothing left for him but to talk avowedly with the caretaker. I'm interested, he explained, in what I think is the interesting thing, or at all events the eternally tormenting one, the fact of the abysmally little that, in proportion, we know. In proportion to what? his companion asked. Well, to what there must have been, to what in fact there is, to wonder about. That's the interest. It's immense. He escapes us like a thief at night, carrying off, well, carrying off everything. And people pretend to catch him like a flown canary, over whom you can close your hand and put him back. He won't go back. He won't come back. He's not, the young man laughed, such a fool. It makes him the happiest of all great men. He had begun by speaking to his wife, but had ended with his friendly, his easy, his indescribable competence for Gedge, poor Gedge who quite held his breath, and who felt in the most unexpected way that he had somehow never been in such good society. The young wife, who for herself meanwhile had continued to look about, sighed out, smiled out, Gedge couldn't have told which, her little answer to these remarks. It's rather a pity, you know, that he isn't here. I mean, as Goethe's at Weimar, for Goethe is at Weimar. Yes, my dear, that's Goethe's bad luck. There he sticks. This man isn't anywhere. I defy you to catch him. 
Why not say, beautifully, the young woman laughed, that like the wind, he's everywhere? It wasn't, of course, the tone of discussion. It was the tone of joking, though of better joking, Gedge seemed to feel, and more within his own appreciation than he had ever listened to. And this was precisely why the young man could go on without the effect of irritation, answering his wife, but still with eyes for their companion. I'll be hanged if he's here. It was almost as if he were taken, that is, struck and rather held, by their companion's unruffled state, which they hadn't meant to ruffle, but which suddenly presented its interest, perhaps even projected its light. The gentleman didn't know, Gedge was afterwards to say to himself, how that hypocrite was inwardly all of a tremble, how it seemed to him that his fate was being literally pulled down on his head. He was trembling for the moment, certainly too much to speak. Abject he might be, but he didn't want his voice to have the absurdity of a quaver. And the young woman, charming creature, still had another word. It was for the guardian of the spot, and she made it, in her way, delightful. They had remained in the Holy of Holies, and she had been looking for a minute, with a ruefulness just marked enough to be pretty, at the queer old floor. Then, if you say it wasn't in this room he was born, well, what's the use? What's the use of what? her husband asked. The use, you mean, of our coming here? Why, the place is charming in itself. And it's also interesting, he added to Gedge, to know how you get on. Gedge looked at him a moment in silence, but he answered the young woman first. If poor Isabel, he was thinking, could only have been like that, not as to youth, beauty, arrangement of hair, or picturesque grace of hat, these things he didn't mind, but as to sympathy, facility, light perceptive, and yet not cheap detachment. I don't say it wasn't, but I don't say it was. Ah, but doesn't that, she returned, come very much to the same thing? And don't they want also to see where he had his dinner, and where he had his tea? They want everything, said Morris Gedge. They want to see where he hung up his hat, and where he kept his boots, and where his mother boiled her pot. But if you don't show them... They show me. It's in all their little books. You mean, the husband asked, that you've only to hold your tongue? I try to, said Gedge. Well, his visitor smiled, I see you can. Gedge hesitated. I can't. Oh, well, said his friend, what does it matter? I do speak, he continued. I can't sometimes not. Then how do you get on? Gedge looked at him more abjectly to his own sense than he had ever looked at any one, even at Isabel when she frightened him. I don't get on. I speak, he said, since I've spoken to you. Oh, we shan't hurt you, the young man reassuringly laughed. The twilight, meanwhile, had sensibly thickened. The end of the visit was indicated. They turned together out of the upper room and came down the narrow stair. The words just exchanged might have been felt as producing an awkwardness which the young woman gracefully felt the impulse to dissipate. You must rather wonder why we've come. And it was the first note for Gedge of a further awkwardness, as if he had definitely heard it make the husband's hand, in a full pocket, begin to fumble. It was even a little awkwardly that the husband still held off. Oh, we like it as it is. There's always something. With which they had approached the door of the egress. 
"'What is there, please?' asked Morris Gedge, not yet opening the door, as he fain would have kept the pair on, unconscious only for a moment after he had spoken that his question was just having, for the young man, too dreadfully wrong a sound. This personage wondered, yet feared, had evidently for some minutes been asking himself, so that with his preoccupation the caretaker's words had represented to him inevitably, "'What is there, please, for me?' Gedge already knew with it, moreover, that he wasn't stopping him in time. He had put his question to show he himself wasn't afraid, and he must have had in consequence, he was subsequently to reflect, a lamentable air of waiting. The visitor's hand came out. "'I hope I may take the liberty?' What afterwards happened our friend scarcely knew, for it fell into a slight confusion, the confusion of a queer gleam of gold, a sovereign fairly thrust at him, of a quick, almost violent motion on his own part, which, to make the matter worse, might well have sent the money rolling on the floor, and then of marked blushes all round, and a sensible embarrassment, producing, indeed, in turn, rather oddly, and ever so quickly, an increase of communion. It was as if the young man had offered him money to make up to him for having, as it were, led him on, and then, perceiving the mistake, but liking him the better for his refusal, had wanted to obliterate this aggravation of his original wrong. He had done so presently, while Gedge got the door open, by saying the best thing he could, and by saying it frankly and gaily. Luckily it doesn't at all affect the work. The small town street, quiet and empty in the summer eventide, stretched to right and left with a gabled and timbered house or two, and fairly seemed to have cleared itself to congruity with the historic void, over which our friends, lingering an instant to converse, looked at each other. The young wife, rather, looked about a moment at all there wasn't to be seen, and then before Gedge had found a reply to her husband's remark, uttered, evidently in the interest of conciliation, a little question of her own that she tried to make earnest. It's our unfortunate ignorance, you mean, that doesn't? Unfortunate or fortunate, I like it so, said the husband. The play's the thing. Let the author alone. Gedge, with his key on his forefinger, leaned against the doorpost, took in the stupid little street, and was sorry to see them go. They seemed so to abandon him. That's just what they won't do, not let me do. It's all I want, to let the author alone. Practically— he felt himself getting the last of his chance. There is no author. That is for us to deal with. There are all the immortal people in the work, but there's nobody else. Yes, said the young man, that's what it comes to. There should really, to clear the matter up, be no such person. As you say, Gedge returned, it's what it comes to. There is no such person. The evening air listened in the warm, thick, midland stillness, while the wife's little cry rang out. But wasn't there? There was somebody, said Gedge, against the doorpost, but they've killed him. And dead as he is, they keep it up, they do it over again, they kill him every day. He was aware of saying this so grimly, more grimly than he wished, that his companions exchanged a glance, and even perhaps looked as if they felt him extravagant. That was the way, really, Isabel had warned him all the others would be looking, if he should talk to them as he talked to her. 
He liked, however, for that matter, to hear how he should sound when pronounced incapable through deterioration of the brain. Then, if there's no author, if there's nothing to be said, but that there isn't anybody, the young woman smilingly asked, why in the world should there be a house? There shouldn't, said Morris Gage. Decidedly, yes, he affected the young man. Oh, I don't say, mind you, that you should pull it down. Then where would you go? their companion sweetly inquired. That's what my wife asks, Gedge replied. Then keep it up, keep it up, and the husband held out his hand. That's what my wife says, Gedge went on as he shook it. The young woman, charming creature, emulated the other visitor. She offered their remarkable friend her handshake. Then mind your wife. The poor man faced her gravely. I would if she was such a wife as you. End of chapter 5